Welcome to the Hearts and Dice podcast. This episode we're going to talk about what happens when emotions get difficult in a game. So when issues from your real life bleed through into the game, and when your feelings from a game come back through into the real world. We'll also be talking about Capcom a bit. That's a major tabletop convention that happens in Wellington, New Zealand once every year. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Steve. And I'm Daniel. So, if you were to choose, like, a character class for yourself in real life, what would it be? Daniel. Baylor. <laughs> a badass loner who plays by their own rules. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Would you have, like, special classes? I don't, I don't actually know how D&D works, but... I, uh, oh, with D&D. <laughs> Is it D&D? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess, I'd, I mean, they're a warrior, aren't they, generally? I'd say ranger. Rangers. I always think Ranger, like mm. Aragorn sitting in the corner of the pub, just smoking and like looking all mysterious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Particularly with the multiple names. Yeah, like no he's Aragorn, knows. but he's also called Strider. And who knows what the real name is? You'll have to find out Not for me. yourself. <laughs> so for me, uh, I would either be a Hobbit from The One Ring because they're very good mm. at storytelling good and uh, not so good at fighting at the start, anyway. Or, um, if we're going classic D&D, I think I'm a bard, because most of my skills are kind of people skills and leadership and, and life coaching kind of stuff. Yeah. So, social justice bard, all the way. How about you, Steve? If I was a D&D character, I feel like I'd be one of those ones in the appendix that you meet in the town. Like, right. the, like the sage or the apothecaryist. Like an NPC. Like an NPC. Right, you wouldn't be one of those multi-class types that... Frankly, I think what we what I do is I publicly respect you for wanting to go down into the dungeons and like, <laughs> <laughs> and good luck with that. Yeah, really good luck with that. I'm going to establish a business. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just do this. Yeah. So I guess today we wanted to continue the conversation about the emotional space at the table, right? Right. Uh, particularly how we express ourselves through our characters and our relationships with the real-life people at the tables. So this is something that I noticed in myself when I was playing the same kind of character over and over again. Mm. Do you guys do this? Yes. Do you have, like, an archetype? You're like, it's different games that are called different things, but it's the same basic character, and you're trying to explore something now? I've yeah. got about three or four facets okay. that, that yeah. I tend to lean on. Mm. And I've got at least two archetypes yeah. that I keep coming back yeah, to. Yeah, I think I've got about three, but sometimes I will play through them and get through the arc, and then I can let them go. Mm. So this I first noticed when I was playing a very long-running Buffy game, where I was playing... Uh, like a regular human being who got into fighting vampires because it was a really good way to express his anger and his violence, which is something that I've never been able to do in real life. Right. Um, <laughs> so playing this character and just caring not at all about most consequences of his actions and having this really dramatic romance with our Slayer character that was on and on again, off again, and, and very dramatic and messed up in a lot of ways... Sort of a Buffy Angel dynamic? Kind of. Less, like, power from my side <laughs> than right. Angel ever had. I mean, uh, so I, I based this character on Logan from Veronica Mars. Right. So, um, very privileged and self-destructive. And so I don't know if this is a direct analogue. Maybe it's Spike and Buffy, if Spike had no superpowers. Right. Well, for a while he sort of doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
I realized through playing that character that I was exploring a bunch of stuff that I don't get to do in real life. So being violent or um, not caring about consequences, all that stuff. Yes. But it became very, very clear to me when I used him to have difficult conversations about relationships. Because I was doing that in game with some of my best friends. And it was very intense and very emotional. We've been playing this game a long time. We had a lot of investment. And I realized later that I was practicing for leaving my husband what? in real life. <laughs> that feeling when you, when you think you're having fun with your friends, but actually like practicing was. to leave your I husband. Was do- I was doing both. I mean... <laughs> well, when did you realize? Uh, in retrospect. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I remember sitting down and having a really difficult conversation in real life with my ex-husband and going, huh, this is sort of easier than I thought it might be. Yeah. And it was literally because I'd been practicing in a different context and with more vampires and <laughs> in a safe space because those were, uh, that was a group of people that I trusted and would go there with me emotionally. Yeah. So that was really, really strange to me to notice that I'd been doing it subconsciously. That's powerful. It's nuts, right? Yeah. It's, um, cause if we go into a game knowing that we have something to work through, and we can do it in a safe space, in a fictional setting, then we can prepare ourselves, and it will be maybe a little less hard. Just to dig into that a little Mm. bit deeper, just then you said, if we can go into a game, knowing that we're going to do it, have you ever been in a game where you've specifically gone in with an agenda to explore a difficult real life Um, I don't think I have, but I have been in a game with a friend of mine, Karen Wilson. She will write games specifically to deal with aspects of her life which are fantastic she ran one called white rabbit where we were all in space and this traveling ship the captain of the ship was a new mother and all the rest of us were just kind of living on the ship and it was all about karen working through how do you be a working mother and be good at both roles and the rest of us obviously had stuff going on that was was a great great game and I don't want to spoil it (laughs) because I'm sure she'll run it again but it just ended up being so powerful for all of us because Karen got to see she was running it so she wasn't obviously playing that character but she got to see problem solving and things coming to a head and things being resolved and all of us felt the emotional depth of what she'd written must have been great for her as well to thematically bake that stuff into the game and then to step back and see it being run it would I imagine have given her a real insight I think so. Her own. And she's she's pretty upfront that the game she runs are pretty emotionally terrible for people, but it's cathartic <laughs> at the same time. Right. So bleed. Bleed's kind of the other Yo, way around. Bleed, yeah. Um have you have either of you experienced bleed? Maybe we should define like a working oh, yeah. definition of bleed for So okay, so bleed is where where you're in a fictional setting, so you're playing a character, you're playing someone that's not you, interacting with people who are playing people that are not them. But once you leave the game, you bring some of the emotion that you've that you've kind of experienced in the game back out into the real world, and you're you're still feeling those emotions, and possibly still feeling those emotions about the people uh, that you were having the game with. So if you had an antagonistic relationship with someone, even if rationally you know that you're not angry with them, you might still actually be a little bit shitty. Why don't you talk me through kind of your experiences? So I've I've experienced a little bit of bleed. I'm not I'm, I am not someone who's experienced a lot, and I've only experienced it in LARP partly because I think 
that can be just one one step further in terms of engagement. It's so much more direct. I, I had it where, in, instead of an antagonist, it was a character who, I, it was a one-off game and I was mm. in love with. Mm-hmm. And this other person was playing it so well and I just threw myself into it and then I just, like the whole next 24 hours, I was like, oh, I'm so in love with oh. that person. Oh, yeah. I had about two weeks of, of exactly the same yeah. thing. I mean, it, this was just a one-off, so I think I was like, Oh, this Same. was a one-off as well. Oh, it was, was a three-hour game. <laughs> three-hour game, and for two weeks later... Yeah, I you're was... just, you've got this crush, and you're like, yeah. but it's not really me, and it's not really them. Yeah. yeah. But there it is, because we were both there. Did anything... Was it was it LARP, and did anything kind of physical happen? Yeah, it, whether it's just touching or... I've had it both ways. Yeah. Um, with touching and without. <laughs> that sounds so dodgy. Yeah, I, I had it in LARP, and it, was, it wasn't even a romantic relationship, yeah. but it was it was such a... Yeah, it was it was so deep, and it was such a vulnerable relationship yeah. that it bled through. And it's quite a funny thing to to have this crush that you know doesn't make sense. Yeah, but your emotions are all there. They're all <laughs> yeah, yeah. and oh. your hormones are up. Two weeks sounds like about yeah. a reasonable time for a crush, like a, you yeah. know, a work crush. Yeah, I, I had the benefit that we weren't interacting on a daily right, basis or a it, yeah. Yeah. it was something that I could talk myself down from the ledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you notice it happening, you can kind of go, okay, well, hold on. Yeah. Is it just because, you know, he was using this great Irish accent all night? Or was it just because and she o- helped me get yeah. my goals done or whatever? Mm. Oftentimes there is a there's a kernel of truth there, mm. right? Like, the LARP community is full of relationships that started from playing characters. And that comes down to to people choosing to play against characters that belong to people that they already have some affinity and affection right. for. So it can get very blurry. I have had it with tabletop as well. But generally only if it's a character that I immediately identify with quite strongly, or if it's a game that's been going so long that you just get used to that character. Sure. You're used to being in that skin. So yeah, maybe I should tell you about... Um... <laughs> tell us about the bleed. Tell us about the bleed. So this is my first game of Apocalypse World. Yeah. And I was playing with a bunch of really great people, uh, including Sophie, who is fantastic. Our characters in this post-apocalyptic community occupied slightly the same narrative space. I was a cult leader who had a connection to the weird psychic apocalypse, and she was a brainer, a psychic, who has a very direct way to contact and manipulate the apocalypse. So through the course of like seven or eight episodes, we were constantly vying to lead the weirdness, and there was some point where we just butted heads one too many times in character and I was really invested in winning this particular thing and I yelled at Sophie I think my exact words were I'm going to destroy you and it will be the supreme creative achievement of my life and were oh. you in character? sort of and sort of not yeah yeah, yeah. and Sophie I'm sorry <laughs> that is probably like the 28th time that I've apologized to her because it was like table flipping in a mm. board game yeah you know I just that has very rarely happened to me yeah, yeah that but, would be my... yeah when you're creating a space where you can get those heightened emotions mm. you can run that risk of going too far or saying something you don't mean to we had to really talk it through afterwards and between the games and at the next game as well, just to make sure that we were all safe. I think what helped was that I recognised I was in the wrong instantly. I was acting like a dick and needed to correct myself. I feel like in that situation I had to take personal responsibility for it. Yeah. Okay, so you sort of identified that it had gone wrong. Mm. Did you you 
kind of stop at that moment or was that was it something that you recognized after you'd cooled down or mm. like what was the process of of confronting that cold shock of dread and horror about what I'd done mm. and maybe there was like a minute or five before I apologized or maybe it happened instantly I'd love to I'd love to know the other people <laughs> at the tables yeah. right me- in and tell us of it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So did you stop the game? Because you, you weren't running it, obviously. No, no, I was a player, yeah. Who was the GM? Simon. Simon Carrier. Simon. Oh, yeah. So did Simon stop the game? The game must have stopped. Like, it must have. But the, the details that you're looking for, I can't give you the... I'm interested because I think the reality, like in so many other areas, it's very easy to go over the edge. Whether that's to become overly engaged with someone or to accidentally start dominating the table yep. um, when you're just trying to play a, a yeah. an eccentric character, for instance. And so then I'm interested in what, what's the process for you when you realise that you're the problem? Mm. Oh, okay, uh, I've definitely been there. At convention games, probably, more than other stuff. Because you do want someone to take a lead and unite the group and get things flowing. Yeah, I think when I've noticed that I'm doing it, I'll just... I won't interrupt the game or anything. I'll just pull myself back and make sure other people are doing stuff and maybe ask questions if it's important. Like if if I pull back and no one else does anything, um, then I would be like, oh, well, what do you do next? Or sure. If, if it wasn't me being mm. the problem player, but I was running it or at the table, I would probably be saying something like, hey, could I just take a moment to check in with everybody yeah. about how things are going? Which I think is a pretty acceptable meta question. Yeah, absolutely. And as a facilitator, you can cut really easily, right? You can you can mm. go, okay, cool, we'll come back to you in a second. We just need to see what the other people are doing. Yeah, yeah. But if, that is a skill, oh, you yeah. know, that you need to learn and to, and to work at to get right, I think. It is, and, and it's, it's the conch passing, right? Like, the, mm-hmm. the facilitator is really there, at least in part for time management, yeah. to let people have their moment of glory, as well as make sure that the quiet person or the person who's doing the research subplot that doesn't have a lot of dramatic potential at the moment, you know, is still go forward. How would you, Dan, handle that sort of situation at the table? It depends. I mean, all of the responses are gradated, but it really depends. It depends if it's not been extreme enough I'll probably deliberately hold myself back like give myself like a timeout, even if it's yeah. within within the playing of the game just be a bit quieter you know try to, to give a bit of space but if I felt like I'd um, crossed a line or something I probably would ask to stop the game but or if I was facilitating a game and something had gone wrong and it didn't feel like the normal rules of, of just a facilitator taking control and saying well how about we hear from whatever then I'd probably stop and check in. Here's another conundrum. Mm. What do you do if you're at a table, uh, you're not facilitating, you're a player, but another player is dominating, and it's hard to get a word in edgewise, maybe the facilitator's you know, enabling it a little bit. I definitely have yeah. seen that happen at, at convention games. Particularly Sunday afternoon. Oh, yeah, you, everyone's tired. Everyone's tired, so you're, you're not bringing a facilitation A game. That's right. It's a game where I, as a player, get a bit of authority about framing a scene. And I can say, oh, player A is the dominant one, but mm-hmm. player B is the quiet researcher one. Then I can say, oh, I'd love to have the scene with me and player B. Uh, we would talk about the research, but I'm really trying to dig into why this mystery yeah. means something to her, something personal to her. And I think that can be a way of 
subtly spreading the spotlight time around. It's a little bit like we've talked about in a previous conversation, taking on a bit of the GM role of rotating where the spotlight pays attention to. I think it's okay as long as it's, I want to say, for the greater good. Like, if it forwards the story, if it includes everyone at the table, if it's, you're, you're helping the facilitator in that case, I feel like, rather than stepping on their toes. I'd say that as a facilitator who doesn't mind that kind of thing happening, though. And I guess maybe I'm not interpreting your question the way you're intending as well, but are you talking about the possibility of confronting a player who is taking up too much? No, just how do you handle it? Because it's it's the kind of thing, like, if you start to notice it happening, if I'm sitting at a table and I'm like, geez, I haven't got to say anything for, like, 20 minutes, and there's this kind of social terror because confrontation is scary, and you don't want to interrupt someone and they're having a great time so there's that as well so it's how do you negotiate that particular soft skill of going Mm. oh hey we're here at the table as well yeah maybe this story would be better and i just thought of a horror story it was at a convention i was in a noir mystery game and there was one detective the detective was the only one who could move the story forward and structurally structurally and everything the rest of us did had zero effect and the facilitator was just like, oh, you know, no, it's a mystery. I can't, you know, can't give you any hint or anything. And kept leaving the room to have secret conversations with the investigator. Oh. And this game was supposed to be three hours, and I think it went to about four and a half. Just, we were so powerless. And part of that was the facilitator's writing of that game, obviously. But part of it was the person playing the detective not shutting down this kind of toxic system not not sort of creating generous yeah, generosity right. within that space yeah and you know and it, we were very young at the time this is this is many years ago now and we weren't very um au fait with how to handle that at all yeah like what would you do now differently <laughs> from from then yeah so if this happened to me now i would just say to the gm point blank maybe in the room maybe out of it just say hey this is no fun I am having no fun at all. I feel like if I left and my character left, it would make no difference to the game. And I would just say, hey, is that what you're intending? Or have we missed something about how this game works? I'd give them the opportunity to fix it. But if I didn't get a satisfactory answer, I think I would bail. Good. What would your language be for bailing? What would my language be for bailing? Pretend I'm the GM. Okay, okay. Well, I'm going to go then. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Straightforward. Yeah. I could believe that. Last Capcom, I saw someone bow out of a game very early on. Mm. Not for that reason. But um, we were playing a game which was basically sit in a circle and take turns telling a tall tale with interjections and prompts from your other people trying to escalate the story and make it more absurd. And we got through one story, two stories, and it landed on this third guy and he just drew a blank it's very much like an improv thing and he just decided that he wasn't in the space to to be able to do that to deliver that and um he bowed out and that's that's so good that's awesome yeah i thought it was brilliant i really have a lot of respect for that i've I've had it happen as well i remember being in a game of fiasco we decided to play the harry potter (laughs) ripoff playset Two of the people at the table were quite drunk in a festive way and insisted that we make a Harry Potter slash fic. We all came up with characters and stuff. We started playing and one person said, you know what, I don't think I can keep up with you. I'm really keen to watch, but I don't think I can play. And we were all like, yep, cool. And it was so brave like to be able to say that 
because um, really a lot of respect for that person because knowing your own limits and then being able to express it is so powerful and I'm sure they would have enjoyed it as an audience member as well. Eh? Yeah, I think so. We ended that game with a triumphant parade through the rest of the convention <laughs> with one of the guys taking his shirt off and written Dark Lord FTW on his chest. You've been listening to the Hearts and Dice podcast hosted by Jamie Sands, Daniel Zollinger and me, Steve Hickey. If you want to get in touch with us, you can use our social media accounts. That's at Hearts and Dice all spelled out on instagram and twitter you can email us on heartsanddice at gmail.com and our facebook page is hearts and dice podcast thanks for listening